Jesse Itzler is one of the most inspiring people I have ever met, hands down. I got to spend some time with him in Poland when I went on that Wim Hof experience. And really, there was the Wim Hof experience, and then there was the sitting on the couch with Jesse Itzler experience, which was just as phenomenal in many ways. He has so many stories from his wild successes as an entrepreneur. He's a minority owner of the Atlanta Hawks. He's written a few best-selling books, and he just has a ton of wisdom to share. So I know you guys are really going to love this podcast. But before we get started, I want to talk to you about Raycon earbuds. You remember back in the day when headphones and earphones had like wires and stuff? That was just the normal way that you went about it. And people would talk into that little thing that they would like hold on the cord as if that little thing was like, like a good enough microphone to really handle anything. But those days are long gone. Everybody has earbuds now. And of course, there's the earbuds that you see from Apple. But if you're really looking for an alternative that's phenomenal, check out the Raycon earbuds. And I got familiar with them. And they're really great, actually, in my opinion, even better for doing things like working out and doing things like actually listening to music. And of course, they're great for talking on the phone as well. And it's just that extra level of convenience of not having to plug anything in or work with all your stuff. Like the Bluetooth just clicks on when you're ready to talk and then you can handle it through your phone. And it just makes everything a lot more functional and a lot easier. And these earbuds are phenomenal. They're like half the price of the other premium wireless earbuds and they're great. So please check them out. Go to buyraycon.com slash Marcus. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash Marcus. And you'll get 15% off these already really affordable earbuds. So I think you'll love them. Check them out. Mr. Marcus. Jesse. Great to see you, man. Great to see you too, brother. How have you been? I'm doing good. I miss... uh... I miss your leadership, your cold, your guidance, you know, <laughs> all you, of that. I dropped into some breath work today. Have you been keeping up with it? Uh, inconsistently, yes. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's on my list of things that I definitely want to do every day, but actually doing them every day is, is challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, there's so many options for people like us. Like we have so many things we could do and then trying to figure out what the priority is for that day. Exactly. And really just like listening. But it seems like every time I choose breathwork, it's the right choice. I feel great afterwards. And it's, you know, yeah. it's not a, it's not a big time commitment for me. It's, it's a, you know, when you're holding your breath for eight minutes, like you, <laughs> it's a whole different, you got to carve out my, more time. But for me, it's not a huge time commitment, 15 minutes to go through my routine. So I, there's no excuse to it. Yeah. So for those of you listening, um, Jesse and I were part of a crew that went to go see Wim Hof in Poland. If you haven't followed my social media, heard me talk about it before, which was just a phenomenal experience and uh, a bunch of amazing humans. And I think really the beauty of it beyond just the breathing, which is incredible and beyond the cold was going through a transformative practice with people that came in as friends and left as like true brothers, you know, and that's, that's something that's fucking special. We, and what's, bet, what's even more incredible is we didn't even really come in as, as friends. We were social media acquaintances, mm-hmm. uh, but we had never met or spoke in person. And of the 10 guys on the trip, nine or 10 guys really only knew you know, three or four in person. So it's challenging when you go and you're with a group of people you never, it's intimidating, you know, people you never met and 
uh, you have to spend a week together in a foreign country in stressful, you know, <laughs> potentially stressful situation. But if you make it, you come out so bonded. So I'm so psyched to see you, man. I'm glad you're doing yeah. great. And thanks yeah. for having me. Likewise, man. I've been really, we had just the best chats. I mean, you think about the peak experiences, but some of the, just the regular experiences, just sitting on the couch, just bullshitting, you know, drinking tea and hanging out after a, after a day of breathing and freezing. And that was, that was some of the highlights. So I've been looking forward to doing this ever since then. Yeah, there were like 10,000 t-shirts that could have been born from that trip. There were so many one-liners, you know, like you had that I'm not impressed line, all these different lines that came up that could live on a t-shirt that stick with you. Yeah, we could have had, nick- we could have had nicknames on our t-shirts too. It could have been jerseys. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, I want to get into some of your story a little bit because it's like really incredible everything and in, in the wide gamut of things that you've accomplished but you know really probably the first thing that people are tracking is you were a you're a musician you're a rapper that's, <laughs> that's that's kind of where it started right as far as like but where would you where would you mark the start of where kind of you know you started to to forge your path into, into who you are now oh uh, well that was definitely a big part turning point in my life i grew up in new york uh, in Long Island in the 80s, right when hip hop started to emerge. I was, you know, I lived in a community where I, I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by all different walks of life. And um, I got you know, into that early on. But I would say even before that, uh, you know, I watched my dad go to work six days a week. He owned the plumbing supply house in Mineola, Long Island. And, um, you know, all, I had the gift, Aubrey, of having my parents uh, together my entire childhood and my adult life. They've been married for 65 plus years. And, you know, so I was in a very warm, encouraging environment. My parents always praised effort more than results. So I was constantly, yeah, I was constantly encouraged to try different things and not be scared of the outcome as long as I gave it my all. So my journey started early on with those gifts from my parents, but Really, my first entree into the real world and rejection and disappointment and success and trial and error and all that was in the music business, uh, you know, which I got into right after college. It was funny. I, I was listening to some, you put some flows out, you know, just some spoken word or drop some bars. You put it out on social media and I was like, damn. He's really fucking good at that. Like really good at that. And then I was just then I was just in the office with Ryan who works on my podcast and he starts playing me Shake It Like a White Girl and he's like, "This is Jesse." And I was like, "Oh shit. That's Jesse. Unreal." You know, so I didn't I didn't even know that you had, you know, that kind of musical background until I kind of looked into it. And uh it's pretty, you know, it, that you did well. I mean, you cracked crack the top, you know, the Billboard Top 100. You want yeah. a fucking you want a fucking Emmy? Uh, I did. I want a sports <laughs> Emmy. You know, my only goal when I started out was to get a record deal. That's all that I was like. I just I never had a resume. All my roommates in college were making resumes and sending them out. And I'm like, I don't need a res. What do I need a resume to get a record deal for? So uh, that was my only goal. And then when I did get my record deal, and I got rejected from probably 15 labels, and before I actually got signed to a company called Delicious Vinyl. Um, I made a classic error and I didn't reset my goal. So that, that was it. Like once I, I did, instead of stepping on the gas and taking advantage of the opportunity, I celebrated it, you know, 
And I was like, man, that's my only goal. And I took my foot off the gas pedal. And after a year, I ended up getting dropped from the label and having to go back to like, well, oh my God, I don't have a resume. The only thing I've ever done in my life has been a kiddie pool attendant and now a rapper. And like, how's that going to get me a job? Um, so I made a classic mistake of, you know, not resetting my goal. And there was a big lesson in that early on. And, and that lesson was like, if I get a win, a sale, uh, any kind of momentum, I'm going to accelerate and step on the gas pedal. So, you know, what was a big failure for me and an embarrassment, I got thrown off the, dropped from the label, ended up being a really great gift in my 20s, 30s, and 40s. When can, do you have another example of, you know, you, you talked about as Ryan, uh, not Ryan Holiday, Robert Greene would say a transgression of the law. Like one of the laws is you accomplish your goal, you don't take your foot off the gas. If that's in Jesse Itler's law, Itler's laws of, of business and life, that was a transgression. That was where you learned the law. Where was, a, where was an adherence to the law? Where did you do it right? Where did you accomplish a big goal and then just keep going? And how was that different? Uh, well, first of all, I made a promise to myself to not negotiate my goals. So I never, you know, getting a record deal was a huge, huge goal that I, I could easily have been like, oh my God, this is like, how could I, I can't handle any more rejection. But I, I really try not to negotiate my goals. Years later, I wrote a book called Living with the Seal, and I went to 11 publishers, and they all rejected it. And a small publisher called Center Street picked it up, literally the 12th and last stop. I don't even know I would have self-published it otherwise, and it became, you know, it ended up becoming a bestseller. So that's an example of, again, sticking to like, or I like to go to the end of the movie in my head. You know, Mm -hmm. like, uh, if I'm running a marathon, I envision myself going through the finish line. And then I just reverse engineer it. You know, I fill in the, I fill, I I fill in the blanks until I get to the end of the movie. And sometimes that plot changes and the script changes, but I really try to keep the end of the movie. In this case, it was a book deal. And then once that happened, I was like, okay, now I got to write a bestseller because, you know, I, I, you know, this, and and I don't want to sound, uh, come off the wrong way at at all, but as you get a little bit older and I'm turning, I'm going to be 52. Um, it's real. It's, I think it's really important to have super high standards. I don't want to write a book. I want to write a bestseller. I don't want to give a speech, man. I want to be the highest rated speaker at the series. I don't want to be a dad. I want to be the best dad, you know? So once I got that, an example was once I got the book deal, I must have ripped up the, ripped up the manuscript 80 times before I handed it in because I wanted it to be like, going back to my parents' lesson, I wanted the, to be graded on my effort and I didn't want to shortchange myself in an opportunity that I probably would never get again. So that's an example of taking all the tools and wrapping them into a final product that I was proud of, that I was proud of my effort. I didn't cut corners. I didn't negotiate my goals. And now I put it out. Now that starts the next journey, which is now I got to step on the gas on the marketing side, right? And, 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 but that's at least the chapter of, of getting the deal, putting the, the content out is done. And then you ended up writing another book, which is another way that you're stepping on the gas. I mean, if your goal was to write a, a best-selling book, you did it. And then it's like, okay, well, there's another one, you know? Uh, yeah, I forgot how much energy it takes to, put, <laughs> to, to write a book. It was exhausting, especially the second one. It, was, yeah. it, was, it has challenges. Yeah. I can think, I had a, in the breathwork today, I had a vision of myself, you know, when the book comes out and I'm on the book tour and everything. And 
I remember with Own the Day, my first book, that I was able to look at it and know that there was not a single moment where I cut any corners where I could have done more and I didn't. You know, every I bled every bit of blood that I could, every bit of sweat that I could to make that. And there was a satisfaction in that that was far more important than whether I was a bestseller, whether the book did well. I knew that I absolutely tried my hardest and did my best. And I was looking at that and there's been a lot of amazing things happening for me so far in quarantine and in the last five months where I should have been slaving over the book, but have been kind of casually working on it. I mean, not casually, I've been working on it, but not at the f- level of fervor and level of intensity that I think I'm really drawn to. And I could see myself holding the book. And the only thing that mattered was if I could hold that book and know that I gave it fucking everything. And if I couldn't do that, it would be hell. And if I could do that, I would be good. And it challenges you because when you think you're done, you're like, am I done? Could I make this better? And, and, and that's the difference between, you know, an amazing result or sometimes just a, a good result. But, you know, you touch on something that I think is really important. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've had multiple businesses in multiple different industries. And the main ingredient or one of the main ingredients that I think is underrated and um, it doesn't just apply to business. I think it applies to being a friend, being a parent being a son or a daughter, um, that, that, that people don't talk about, and you just mentioned it about your book, is soul. And business, great businesses, great relationships are built on soul. What we had in Poland, yes, it was an amazing journey, but the relationships were built on the soul that we put into that week. And um, you know, I, I put my soul into that book. And I think that the consumers and customers, um, the general public, we're smart. You know, I just don't think you, you can have longevity around creativity and um, building something without putting your soul into it. And I think there's an energy and spirit attached to that uh, that you can't fake. And I think people can actually feel it in a product. I believe that. And, you know, I got a 980 on my SAT, man. I, I built my companies on soul. Not nothing more, you know, more behind it, but as a main ingredient, I always led with soul. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and it's it's almost it almost gets metaphysical, but it's not because there's subtle little ways that we can pick up on these cues. But maybe it maybe it just is a little bit. Maybe there is an energetic exchange when you pour something into a company, a brand, a product, you know, a relationship, anything. It makes more sense for the relationship, but even a tangible object, like there's little signatures. Maybe it's a design detail that you caught at the last minute that would have flagged someone who's paying attention's eye or a a word that was out of place or something. But if you really put it in there, people can tell, man. Even for the recipient, think of this. If I wrote you an email and said, hey, I hope everything is cool, man. Thinking about you, love you, brother. And I hit send. That's amazing. If I write a handwritten letter with the exact same thing, hey, thinking about you, you know, now think about this. I have to get a stamp, piece of paper, write the, write the letter, fold it, lick the envelope, put a stamp on it, take it to the mailbox, mail it to you. Like There's an energy behind that. I'm not saying it's scalable or efficient, but the recipient, think of how you feel when you get a handwritten letter versus an email. Mm-hmm. The same it, exact words, but the energy is different. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if it's someone, you know, I think it's, 
it's almost like a gift of your service to do it beyond the words you know it's like i matter enough that they are going to inconvenience themselves to do this and it you know if that's a relationship you care about it's it's beautiful you know i mean i always in in my relationships and i'm just in a beautiful new one i'm just recently engaged and you know i love after she falls asleep you didn't know that you didn't hear the word oh man lots of things have happened my brother tell me congratulations man thank you thank you it's a wow it's a total fairy tale i mean it's it's unbelievable i've known her for four years we find you know we were finally in a place where both of us are transitioning out of our relationships and we were free to explore what was between us and as soon as we did it just clicked in a way that i've never been more sure about anything in my whole life like never been more sure you know so that makes me unbelievably happy man congratulations yeah. <laughs> thank you brother thank you it's it's a beautiful thing we haven't announced it to everybody um yet but it, i can't help but talk about it because i just talk about what's present for me in my life but uh that's going to come out soon we'll probably do a podcast and you know the world to get to meet her she's just such an amazing woman good for you thank you man thank you but yeah what i was going to say is you know Aubrey, I, I'm a, I'm 11 years in. So if you have it, if you need any tips, <laughs> I'm sure, man. I'm, I'm sure. And I wasn't this gray before uh, <laughs> for the marriage. Well, I'm like I'm like seven weeks in, so I'm I'm still I'm still. It's pretty easy so far, you know. It's all it's all just magical, you know. Every every bit of the way, but you know, one of the things I love doing is when she falls asleep early, I'll write her a little note or a little poem, and I'll leave it out by her bedside and just so that she can wake up and even if she wakes up a little earlier than me she'll see it see this note and you know finding little ways to do those gestures just makes a fucking big difference like the whole day like we've had i did that last night and our whole day so far has been amazing because it just puts you in this framework of i'm happy that i gave it to her and i'm excited for her to read it she's happy to receive it and then you just foster it's like starting the turbine of the lawnmower of love and excitement the right way first it's like and then you're off and you're fucking going for the day i love that but first of all you're making us all look bad (laughs) i gotta make sure that my wife (laughs) this podcast we're gonna skip this one (laughs) but that's that's great yeah. And it's true, man. It sets a, it sets a tone, and uh, marriage is uh, you know it's it's they always say it's the most important decision, you know, one of the most important decisions you'll ever make, but it should be the easiest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the, in this case, it certainly has been. Like I said, like it's a it's a knowing that it extends beyond choosing. I've tried with my mind to make things work and tried to place that bet, and I've given rings before, never gotten married. Do you know how long your fiance can uh, hold her breath for? <laughs> or un- underwater submersion and ice icy cold. You know, I gotta be better than her at some things. You know, I got I gotta hold this down. I don't know if you had a qualification, <laughs> you know, you put it through a, a test. I, when I, I, yeah. I, I was gonna say when when I when I my first date with Sarah, my wife, uh I took her to a illegally hot uh Russian sauna in New York City. And they jacked, they rejacked the saunas. It's like 205 degrees. State law is 185. And um, you go in there and, and you, they actually give you a paper bathing suit and women come in, they cover their top with their hands. And after you can't take it anymore, you tap out, they whisk you out and then they put you under a hose and they pull up the, the lever and glacier cold water comes on your head. That was our, <laughs> that was our first date and, and, and it led to marriage. So 
I can only imagine what, what's going on in that house. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, as while we were friends, even, I mean, we've done ayahuasca together, wachuban together, all the plants, and we've cold, we cold plunged together and we've breathed together and we've done all of those experiences. So like a lot of the, a lot of the work to kind of get to know somebody was done as friends. And then we, I was curious about it. And I think she was too. We we're curious about what it'd be like if we kind of took the gloves off and were able to like be intimate. And as soon as that happened, we're like, Oh shit. Like this is everything we could have ever hoped and more. So it's it's just cool how it happened. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. So I want to talk about one other aspect. I read a post that you made about taking a pretty aggressive bet on buying some Yankees seats when you were young. Like this was still you're still in the music business at this point. And and like you talk about the ROI on that bet. So if, if you could tell the listeners a bit about that story, I think it was it was one of the favorite things I've read in a long time. <laughs> Well, I was uh, at the time I was I got dropped from my record label, but I started writing theme songs for professional sports teams, jingles basically. I was a jingle writer, and that led to me making uh, CDs, team compilation CDs. So, for example, for the New York Yankees, I would write a song for them, and then we would license uh, songs that they play in the arena and take great moments in the team history, and we would sell them. That was my business, and. Um, I, I went to actually pitch the New York Yankees on an idea uh, for a CD, you know, and if they wanted to be part of this, this what I was selling. And when I was leaving the meeting, the CMO said, and I must have been like, I don't know, 25 or 26 years old at the time. He said, hey, we got a, if you're interested, we have four front row tickets that just opened up. Uh, they're called legend seats. They were built out for the World Series a year ago. There's only 30 of them. They're actually built on the field. They were built for the commissioner and the lead sponsors for the World Series. And um, someone just backed out right next to Adidas, which is the title sponsor of the whole venue. And um, he says, they're going to go quick, but if you want them, you'll have them and you can have them for life. And you know, like I said, there's only 30 of them. So I said, well, how much are they? So the tickets were roughly $1,000. So four seats were 4000 a game times 80 what is it? 81 home games. So $320,000. I had maybe less than $10,000, you know, to my name, definitely less than $10,000. Our entire company had like maybe $30,000 in our account. And these tickets were 300,000. And my partner was like, no way. And I said to the guy when I was leaving, I said, you know, Derek, let me, give me an hour to think about this. And then I called them back and I, I took the tickets. I left the invoice on my partner's desk. And I said, we're, we're proud owners of uh, front row seats at Yankee Stadium. And, and here's why. Um, I knew, first of all, I believe that we would, anyone could go to a restaurant or entertain people at a show, but there was only 30 of these and, and you can never get these tickets. Two, I said, we'll have them for life. I'll be able to build memories with my family and my kids one day down the road. And three, I believe that it would pay itself back tenfold through customers, clients, using it at, to prospect, et cetera. So we bought the tickets. Um, I ended up borrowing the money from a friend of mine. Um, and then a year later, the plan came to be, and I took Jay-Z to a game uh, with uh, his partner, OG Wan, and we ended up splitting the seats with Jay for several years. And a year after that, I closed, I sold my business in those seats to a company called SFX. And 
one of the reasons why they bought the company. They wanted the seats, their <laughs> customers, and their network. So um, it was a combination. I always say you put yourself in a position where you can attract luck. You know, you have to create yeah. your own luck. And we got a little bit lucky. And I would not recommend anyone go into debt, you know, but I had a calculated plan to monetize these seats through entertainment, through customer relations, et cetera. And um, I always knew I could offload them. You know, once I had them, I could, I could offload some of the seats or split them up. So um, as a young kid, and I had those tickets for 10 years. Uh, and it's been a great, by the way, I did the same thing with the Knicks a couple of years later, and I still have those tickets. So, um, you know, for me, it was, it was a big part of, a big part of my journey. Again, 980 on the SAT was I, I was always the business plan. People were betting yeah. on me. They were betting on my partner. They weren't betting on my widget or my product. They were betting that we would deliver whatever it was we were selling at this time. It was music. Then it was private jets. Then it was coconut water. And, you know, it's gone and on and on. And um, I needed that kind of ammo, you know, because I'm best yeah. in, that, in that environment. So that's what happened. Whether it's lifestyle or environmental causes, it is really difficult for a man to maintain optimal levels of testosterone in this estrogenized world. And there's been a lot of correlations to different types of plastics, different type of things that are in our food supply, our water supply, environmental causes, as I mentioned, and perhaps even lifestyle causes. So there's a lot of things that you can do naturally, but there's also a lot of things that you can do with the help of bioidentical hormone replacement. But the starting point is just to check out your testosterone, you know, figure out if you're having issues psychologically or physically in any aspect, whether it might be because your testosterone is super low. And the best way to do that, especially now in the quarantine era, is just go to Let's Get Checked. They're going to send you the test and you're going to be able to take the test without losing all of that blood and then ship it back. And you're going to get a full readout that you can bring to any hormone replacement doctor or just have for your own information like, damn, is my testosterone low? And that's a question that you'll be able to answer. Like I know somebody who was absolutely resistant to any gains from working out. Like no matter what they did in the Onnit gym, I was like, wow, you were, you were the only human being immune to Onnit workouts. And then of course they got their hormones checked and the testosterone was just absolutely on the floor. And this was a hardworking guy who was out in his bar that he was running all the time, not sleeping. And his testosterone was just so low that he wasn't actually getting any of the benefits from the hard training that he was doing. He got checked. He got on hormone replacement. His whole life, and especially his fitness life, has changed forever. So there can be a lot of value to this. Definitely check it out. So the company is called Let's Get Checked, but go to trylgc.com slash Aubrey. That's T-R-Y-L-G-C.com slash Aubrey, or use the code word Aubrey at checkout. It's so cool to just, and such a wise lesson to take a bet on yourself. You know, like you knew what your strength was and this is take, like you said, this is giving you ammo. This was making the biggest bet you could possibly make on yourself. And I think it's rare that you regret that. Like, I mean, I've bet on other companies before like, oh, that's a cool idea. And I've usually lost my ass if I'm not, if I don't really know the people and I'm not involved. It's just betting on something randomly, throwing some money in there. But I don't think I've ever regretted betting on myself, really. You know, I've always been a, a get, get your foot in the door guy and figure the rest out later. I started a private jet company with no money. 
and no airplanes and no aviation background. And we grew it to $5 billion in sales. But the, the concept was the same. You know, if I can get this deal, if we can make this happen, I was a kiddie pool attendant four years before that. I went from kiddie pools to selling private jets. And um, the fear of not knowing anything about the aviation industry, not knowing an, a lot of a network of incredibly wealthy people to buy the airplanes, um, and looking at the challenge ahead. If they would have said to me, well, you need F, uh, DO, Department of Transportation approval to start this company, FAA approval. You're going to have to raise money, build a team, get a sale. I'll be like, I was a kiddie pool attendant. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? But when you, when you take these things and you say, you know what, well, wait a second. Somebody out here must specialize in FAA approvals. Oh, there's a lawyer. Let me get that lawyer. Oh, that's done. Let me get the Department of Transportation guided now. And you just start to chop away. And you kind of take these big tasks and you break them down into small, what, what's the most important thing I have to do first? You know, my wife always says, make a product and sell it. It's that simple. You know, just make more of it, sell more of it. Um, I've always tried, and if I had the confidence that I could deliver, and if I don't, if my spider senses, and that's one thing you have amazing spider senses. If your spider senses tell you, well, it doesn't feel right, or usually you can trust your gut. And the only way to be in tune with your gut is to spend time alone. Mm. And you're very in tune with your gut because you, do, you invest in that. Before there was marketing, there was common sense. You know, mm. you're, an in, you're an intuitive guy. You, you, you're, your common sense is intact. You spend time alone, you breathe, you travel, you know, you experiment. So, you know, you probably, I, I don't know this, but I would bet that a lot of the moves you've made are calculated, but also at the end of the day, you trust your instincts. Yeah, hundred percent. Trust that you can navigate. All right, I'm going to go hold. I saw you do it. I saw you say, "I'm going to go hold my breath." I couldn't even last a minute. I wasn't even fully submerged. You go all the way to the bottom of this ice. I've never seen anything like it. Ice tank, hold in the coldest water I've ever been in, and hold your breath for three or four minutes. But you went into it, and you're like, "I'm going to do this." Like very relaxed, calm. And you knew you could do something amazing that day. For anyone that's listening in Poland, we went into this freezing cold. When I say freezing cold, they took a bat and they cracked the <laughs> ice and took chunks of ice out. And we sat in the water but until Aubrey decided he was going to go underwater, hold his breath in this thing that would make your head feel like you had a, a, you know, 11, 7, 11 Slurpees and had brain freeze, and he stayed on the bottom and had a tea party with himself for four <laughs> I think it was only two and a half, but it was still it was still pretty fucking epic. I've never seen anything like it, man. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. But there was a calmness to it and a confidence yeah. to it. And that was no different than, you know, so you apply these to different things, and some of them are business, some of them are personal, some are relationships. But, I, you know, we are both invest a lot in, building up our gut instinct. Yeah, I can, I can say that pretty much every great success I've had comes from one of those moments, comes from one of those moments where I see it, I feel it, you know, I just feel that something is possible. And, uh, and then I just back it because I believe that it still goes through the faculties of our perception, the faculties of our mind. All of these things are still in play. It's not like a direct channel where you get some information, still using the human being, but it's a part of our, it's a part of our mind. You think of like savant syndrome, which is classically shown in Rain Man, right? Where he's, the brain is calculating things that in a normal 
you know, prefrontal cortex, rational expression, you wouldn't be able to track things in exactly the way that you could if you tap into some other aspect of the mind. And I think that's really what's happening. Like there's some part of us that's making a ton of micro calculations that if you tried to watch each one, it would be too intricate and too detailed. Just like what we were talking about, like when you hand a product that you've put your soul into, there's little micro things that you wouldn't notice with the eye, the way that the words are, the way that the design is, the way that everything is. But when it's there, it's there and we just feel it and we feel that thing. And I think that's what's going on. The other thing I loved about that moment uh, is, you know, I- I'm a big believer that if you have an opportunity to create a memory, you take it because our window on this earth is so short. You know, the average American only lives to be 78, 80 years old. That means if I'm average, I only have 30 years left, 30 summers, 27 summers, you know, and as you get older, it's so hard to create newness in your life. We get built into our daily routines and then that makes life go really fast. So everyone's like, it's going so fast. I can't believe I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm 70. So you have to work hard on creating newness. Now I can say that I'm a little bit older. And what I loved about that moment was you saw an opportunity to create a memory, not just for you, but for everybody there. Mm-hmm. And you didn't, you didn't negotiate, you didn't talk yourself out of it. <laughs> you just said, I'm going to go do this, guys. And we all followed you out. You know, it was, like an, it was like one of those moments, man, like, you know, it was great. But, and then everybody did it, you know, like you set yeah. the tone. Um, and that's what I loved most about it. It was like, there was no what could go. It was just like you saw an opportunity to create this life memory and boom, you did it. A week later, you went to the blackout. Boom, you mm. did it again. And I love that about you. You know, I love, I love, I'm drawn to people that live. Um, when I was growing up, Aubrey, this is interesting. When I was young, I slept on all these different couches. 18 different friends put me up couch to couch to couch when I was trying to make it in the music business, you know, bouncing around. And I used to go, when I finally got in the room with the big boys, I would sit there and I was like, man, this guy, these guys were hundred millionaires and up, you know, that sold their company to this company that I ultimately sold my company to. I was in these meetings and I used to sit around and be like, wow, these guys are like heroes to me. They're so wealthy and successful. Then in my forties and fifties, you know, similar profiles appeared in my life. And I was like, whoa, this guy's just rich. You know, he's just sitting behind a screen, manipulating stocks or whatever. Nothing wrong with that. But um, that was, you know, 19 hours in front of a computer screen. Wasn't the kind of life I wanted to live. And, you know, you start to have different definitions of success. And my definition of success, or one of them, is being good in multiple buckets. You have a successful business. You know, I love you so much, man. So I got I to big you up a little. But Thanks, you know, now, now you're engaged. You have a successful business. You have good friendships. You have a, a, a podcast, you help people, you care about like all the success is being good in, at a lot of different things, not just having a lot of money or, you know, and you mentioned ROI earlier on your return on investment in, in the tickets that I bought, they come in a lot of different ways. And the biggest return on investment with those tickets wasn't okay. Yeah, great. I built this amazing relationship with Jay at the time, you know, we ended up doing his concert tour on our private jets, um, the tickets again, the magic of the tickets. But the biggest ROI was the experiences that I had there with my friends and now my kids at these games. And all, so ROI comes on in, in many different ways. Yeah. And you have to take the, the, the chance 
and say, I'm going to try this. I'm going to experience this. I'm going to get out of my day-to-day routine. And, and that's what I loved about you jumping into the water the most. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I, I feel that because there's so many things that drift off into the background of our lives, you know, just kind of fade away into this kind of gray fog of things that we've done. But there's certain things that are bright spots, little neon lights that we'll always be able to remember. And it wasn't just me under the water, which I'll remember, but it was you guys cheering me on and you were the loudest voice amongst them. You were going nuts out there. And that was, that was at some point I even smiled and a few bubbles like a little fish kind of came up because I was so happy that just to have all you guys there. And then I popped out and it was all hugs and cheers and smiles. And, you know, it was one of the happiest experiences that I can recall in the past, in the past few years. It's just that bright neon spot and, uh, and putting yourself in positions to have those, have those really fucking interesting things. Um, it doesn't that's, happen that's sitting on the couch, man. You got to take the risk. You got, you yeah. got to take, you know, and can't overthink it. So it was great. Is that a, is that one of the motivations behind you doing the ultra marathons and the calendar club and, and all of these different extreme physical challenges that you've had is to, to create memories or to test some aspect of yourself? Uh, both. I think, you know, I do a lot of endurance races, uh, not, not a ton of them, but I try to do at least one or two a year. Uh, what I love about hundred mile runs or, uh, challenges, I've done some long paddleboard races, uh, is it's, I never try to win. Uh, I just try, it's, it's a test of will. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that translates into all the buckets of my life. It makes me a better dad, a husband, son, friend, uh, employee, partner, whatever, because I feel like if I can go out there and push myself for 20 something plus hours, you know, running on a dirt road, uh, you can out negotiate me. You can have more endurance <laughs> on the negotiating table. Are you going to, you know, at least it gives me the, the confidence that like, man, I'll sit here and argue at this point for seven and a half weeks. <laughs> you know, like, like a, like a I, cricket match. <laughs> yeah. I don't care, man. You want to just, you want to see. So I love that element of it. I love the training. And I, but most, they asked Richard Branson, what was the biggest thing he would, he would attribute to his success? And I believe he said going to the gym, but I don't think he meant doing curls and getting muscles. I think he meant prioritizing himself, the discipline, the consistency. And that's what I love about this. Um, those races prioritize your mind, your training that, you know, it's easy to lose track of that. The average American gains two and a half pounds from 35 to 70. Something like that. You know, they, all of a sudden you wake up, you're 60 pounds overweight, you're 70, and you can't do shit you wanted to do when you were younger. And now you're done. You don't get another chance. It's over. Mm-hmm. You get 10 years of life, man, and you blew it looking at your computer screen, eating, you know, eating sushi. And now all of a sudden, so I don't want that, man. I, I like these challenges because I, like, I just like it. It's the way I'm wired. I like being outdoors. I like pushing myself. I like new adventures. I like learning. I like sharing those experiences. Um, and, I, and I also find that it makes me way more disciplined in all the areas of my life. Now, I don't even like the word discipline because discipline sounds like, it, to me, it, it connotates in a weird way deprivation. People think like if you're going through a time where you have to be disciplined, you're depriving yourself of something else. Like if I said to you, mm-hmm. and that never, deprivation never works. That's why diets don't work. Yeah. Like you're taking it away, but lifestyle works. So those things to me, they, they're part of my, they're now part of my lifestyle. 
And without that, I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm empty. If my wife took that away from me, I would resent her. You know, I need that as part of my lifestyle. So mm-hmm. that, that's why I do it. Gut health is absolutely one of the most important things that you can focus on. And I should know because I've had the most consistent issues with my gut out of any other aspect of my physical wellness. So one of the reasons that I actually created many of the Onnit products was to solve that problem. And that's a multifaceted problem. First of all, there's the digestive enzymes. And these help you break down food and break them down into smaller digestible particles so that you can utilize the nutrients properly. So we created a combination of digestive enzymes called Digestech. And that was the first product. And that was great. Digestive enzymes are phenomenal. And then we added those in a collection of different other products in our total gut health. And total gut health includes betaine HCL, which also further breaks down any of the food particles and helps you digest food. So that super full feeling that you would get after a meal, well, that's going to help with that. Then we have prebiotics, which support the gut microbiome, the natural gut flora by giving them the food that they need. Then the probiotics, which help repopulate the gut, which any of us have done any antibiotics or actually consumed any antimicrobial soap that's been on our hand or on our dishes. Like we're always doing damage to our natural microbiome. So repopulating that with the right type of probiotic is really important. And then there's what's called the mycobiome, which is the fungal biome within the gut. And we included Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a really important strain of fungal microbiome, which is great for any kind of traveler's gut or correcting any situation where you have some bacteria in your gut that you probably don't want in there. And then lastly, of course, there's the glutamine, which is great for exercise, but it's also great for helping support the body in creating that type of gut lining that is not going to be as permeable and not going to lead to as much inflammation. So if you experience a lot of inflammation from your diet, of course, look at what foods you're eating, but also a regular regimen of glutamine is really going to help support your gut health as well. So that is the gut health suite from Onnit. And if any of this sounds interesting, like it absolutely is for me, I'm taking these products every single day. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey and you'll get 10% off all of it. I think we have, we're in a place where things can get really fucking comfortable, like really comfortable, way too comfortable, which is great because then it gives us the opportunity to choose our own struggle, like to choose our own challenge. And I think a lot of times people can talk about how comfortable things can be as if it's a problem. It's the best thing ever because then it allows us to choose with our own free will exactly how we want to struggle, but we better make some choice, you know, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like we have to put ourselves in a situation where we're going to have to rise. Like that's the point of a struggle is to provide the pressure that causes you to rise up, which builds that fortitude and strength and the courage and the trust in yourself. But we have to choose it one way or another. And whether it's the ice or whether it's a long hundred mile stretch of pavement or whatever you want to do, at some point you got to choose it. I totally agree with you. And we all choose it in different ways. And, um, you know, I think it's really important. Like I said, I have to work hard for newness, married, four kids under 10, um, taking care of my parents who are older, uh, multiple businesses. There's a lot going on. Um, So I actually schedule that. I don't want to say discomfort because I think getting comfortable, being uncomfortable is a little bit, I don't, you know, there's a lot more to it than just those words. Um, 
So I actually, I like to plan that off. I like to say every year I make sure I do one thing that's, that really defines the year. You know, I think a lot of us go through uh, our lives, our lives. And if I were to say to a listener here, um, what'd you do in 2014? What was something big that happened in 2011, 2015? What'd you do eight days ago? Eight days ago. Most people could, would struggle to, to, to answer that because like we're on cruise control, you know, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's like, it's all over. And we're like, we were, and then we, we regret that we went through life at like being the 80% version of ourselves. So I think it's really important to actually say, that's why we said we're going to take a trip again in January. It's important to put a flag in the ground and this has nothing to do with economic status, like, and, and, or, or anything. You can always find time. You can jump into a cold ocean, you know, you can go to an event, but, but putting stuff that's new and exciting uh, it keeps the creativity going. It, it, it takes your grit baseline and it raises it, you know, the bar, whatever bar you're operating in. If you do challenging stuff, you can actually raise your baseline. So um, I invest a lot in, in experiences um, and, and that those races are part of that portfolio. Um, I, I, I would say I over index in experiential stuff and I, that's where I spend my money. You know, I don't have any art. Um, mm-hmm. I, that's what I like to spend my money on, and that's what I like to do. Doesn't seem like a much better place that we can spend our money on than that. I mean, just the benefit just goes way farther across, cuts through every aspect of of who we are and the experiences we have from our community to our relationships to ourself to every aspect. So, I think that's a, a good lesson for everybody to take. I just bought an RV. I mean, I'm so lucky to, to be able to do this. So I, I understand, believe me, how grateful I am to, to be able to say that I bought an RV. But I am, um, you know, been driving around the country with my family for the last three weeks in an RV and stopping and jumping in lakes and rivers and oceans and, and um, sleeping in RV parks. And it's amazing, man. And someone, I had a financial planner that came to my house. I've had like 50, Aubrey. They all have the same pitch. But <laughs> they, have, they have a different logo, but the same exact pitch. And finally, somebody came in and he said, if you could leave your, leave your kids a boatload of money or a boatload of life experiences, what would you choose? And I was like, well, obviously life experiences. And when he said that, I was like, I'm getting an RV, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting an RV. Uh, and, and I did. The next day, I bought it online. Um, never saw it. You know, and, and we were off four days later. We're out of here. I can I can remember taking RV trips with my parents and how much I just enjoyed them. Whether we were just going someplace to look for arrowheads in New Mexico and pottery or cruising around, I think one of the things that's so special about it when you're a kid is I think kids crave the proximity and this kind of family tribal living with their with their parents. You know, because all too often parents, well, you know, parents want to have sex. They want to kind of keep their space. They put the kids to bed, they go away. But in a small RV or in a small house, I lived on a ranch house with my parents and my three sisters in this tiny little two bedroom, you know, ranch house for a year. And it was some of the best memories of our life just because everybody's together. So there's nothing to do but just dance or sing or hang out or laugh or you know, the families all together. And plus adding the RV, the ability to go on an actual adventure in a lake or a stream or a place. Um, you know, I just for parents listening, 
I really recommend it, even if you just rent an RV and just cruise around. Like your kids are gonna fucking love it. Uh, we did. We started out renting. We rented last summer, and then I totally agree. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's a it's and 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 also you know it's again it becomes one of these things that is just super memorable because it's so different and outside of your regular routine. So we've been joining. I'm a, if anybody sees an RV sw- serving, swerving side to side, going about <laughs> 40 miles an hour, I'm, I'm a New Yorker at heart. I'm not a great driver. Um, a lot of people have been giving me the finger and like, you know, you're not even on <laughs> the speed limit, but uh, I don't care, man. I'm, I'm stay- <laughs> staying in my lane and just boom. That's awesome. Well, you you have such a great business mind and these are really interesting times so i was wondering if you could give you know any of your thoughts that you've had i mean there's more people have lost their jobs in this situation than probably any time in our lifetime history you know we'd have to go back a long ways i don't even think in um you know 12 years ago when we had our crisis that it was anything close to this as far as unemployment so what do you what do you see as far as you know and i know one great thing to just add in that the chinese have their symbol for crisis is also the symbol for opportunity so those two things are the same and so what do you see as far as you know the opportunity that this situation is now kind of presenting everything's been on pause a lot of the different ways that we look at our employment and safety and security all of that has kind of shifted so if you're you know a young hungry enterprising individual right now you know what are you seeing as an opportunity well let me first say that you know i've struggled to it's hard to celebrate um a lot of life's victories right now when you know so many people are out of work and and so many people have been sick and affected by what's going on so um you know i'm not insensitive to that at all um, and it's, 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 it's just a tough time. And I would be lying to say that like, yes, there's definitely a lot of, there is opportunity, but it's super challenging right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I don't want to sound like I'm not aware of that or in a bubble because I am super aware of it. I think for many people, <clears throat> um, I think the first thing is this is a great time to be remembered. And I've posted this on social as a great human. And I, I, I personally have taken inventory on the companies and individuals that have reached out to me to see if I'm okay. Um, I, I've called all, uh, my partner and I have called all 1,000 customers we have in this event race that we have to personally let them know that we're thinking about them, make sure that, you know, we're, that they're on our mind. So it, it's a great time to, be, to reach out to people, um, check on friends and family. And, and at the end of this crisis, pandemic, you want to be known as someone like, oh yeah, man, Aubrey, you know, we had our group call right away. We had a Zoom call. We organized it. Everybody got on. I want to be remembered as somebody that people like, oh yeah, this guy st- stepped up during this time. So for starters outside of business, we have a responsibility to check in on our friends, families, and, and, and loved ones. Um, I think it's a great time to plant seeds, um, to DM, reach out to people, write handwritten letters. You know, during this time, if you're consistent and you were to send 10 uh, DMs, texts, or emails a day, uh, over the next 30 days, you'll send 30 potential employers, maybe uh, customers, maybe employees, maybe resumes out, 300, just by sending, by being consistent and spending 10 or 15 minutes a day. So it's important to not lose track of the 
of the power of cumulative time and to be disciplined. I think it's really important to, um, to time block during this time so you don't waste days where if you carve out two or three hours to send resumes or do interviews or whatever, or research or whatever, that the days, because there's a lot of distractions at home. Um, you know, I remember this, Aubrey, when I started out in business, I was on couch 18 of the last couch. I, I, had to, uh, I had to be off my friend's couch and I went to a bachelor party instead of looking for a new apartment. I had to be out by Monday. It was a Friday. And um, I got a, a, at the bar, a girl came over to me and asked me where I lived. I said, well, as of Monday, I have nowhere to live. And she started laughing. She goes, well, if it's an emergency, you can always stay at my house. Kidding, half kidding around and wrote her, her, her dress on a napkin. Monday, my friend's like, you got to get out of here, man. My, my parents are coming in an hour. I'm like, this is an emergency. So I packed everything up that I owned. I put it in my little blue duffel bag. I took out that envelope of napkin with the name on it. I went to Melissa Katz's house. I knocked on the door. I lived with her for six months. I was in a, <laughs> I was in a situation where I had no my $118 and I was writing jingles, songs for teams. And I was selling them on spec. So if, they, if I would write a song for the Yankees, but they didn't buy it, I was out the money for the studio. If they bought it, I'd hope, hopefully make a thousand bucks or something selling them this silly jingle. So I had no money to write these songs on spec. So Melissa, as it turns out, her father, I had no idea, was an amazingly accomplished entrepreneur, like uber wealthy. And someone had offered me $10,000 to write these songs for 10% of all of my future earnings. And I'm like, I'll take it. So I was going to sell 10% of my life, 22 years old, for 10 grand. She goes, before you do that, go talk to my father. So I go and I talk to her father, and her father says to me, um, he, would, he says to me, I would trade everything in the world that I have for the one thing that you have. And I'm like, me, I have $118. <laughs> what are you talking about? And he said, youth, youth, the process, the good and the bad figuring it out, navigating. What we're going through right now is part of the process. I've been through it. You've been through it. You know, not to this extreme, but we go through these peaks and valleys. And he said to me, will you make this work without the 10 grand? I said, Lou, I know I can make it work. He said, that's not what I asked you. I didn't say, can you? He said, will you? I said, I will. He said, then go forget the $10,000. Go make it work. And as I was walking out, he said to me, but can I ask you a crazy question? are you working out of my daughter's apartment? And I said, yeah. He said, well, if you want this really happen, he said, if you want to do that, he said, you got to do these four things because it's easy to get distracted at home and to spiral and it's hard to get out of a spiral. He said, the first thing you have to do is you have to get up and get dressed like you're going to work because you can't like be in your pajamas. That's not like your work. You got to get into a work head. He said, yeah. the second thing is you have to carve out a place where you want to work. So, you know, you want to come down to a dedicated area where, you, where it forces you to be present. You are where your feet are. If you're working, you're working. Not Netflix, not on social media. You've got to be super disciplined. So my advice to everybody this time, during this time, yes, it's, it, you can watch your documentaries, but if you want to get a job or figure something out or write a book or be creative or start a blog or write a TED Talk or whatever you want to do, you've got to be where your feet are and you have to do number three, which is block out time. Mm. So you want to get dressed, go to a dedicated spot, block out your time. And then the last thing is you have to have a plan. So people talk about the morning routines. That's important, but I'm a much bigger believer in the nighttime routine because my day starts the night before. 
when I map out exactly what I'm going to do the next day. And then I just follow the script. So I'm super efficient. I don't dilly dally. So I've been doing those things since I had that meeting with Lou. And this is no better time than to implement them than right now. To time block, to have a plan on how you want to spend your day, right? To be present, be where your feet are and focused on what it is so you don't do it. And then the last thing I would say for those that are out there is small wins. Every day, I simplified this quarantine, Barbara. I came into it really freaked out, like, I'm going to get so much done because I'm home. I'm going to write a book week one because I'm home and I have time. <laughs> week two, I'm going to write, I'm going to do a whole documentary. I want to do serial killers. I'm yeah. going to do it all week two. <laughs> week three, I'm going to do another book because I have so much fucking time, man. I'm home and I didn't do anything because I'm homeschooling my kids. And, <clears throat> and I realized I put so much pressure on myself to accomplish all this stuff. When I have enough pressure from the quarantine, I got to worry about my parents and my kids and this and that. And my advice to your question, this is a long-winded answer to the question, but I think it's important, is, uh, is during this time, I, I think you know the number one thing people want to feel is accomplished. They want to feel accomplished. So I simplified the quarantine into three buckets, family, business, wellness. Every day I try to do one thing in each of those buckets. Nice. And that's it. So I took the pressure off. Like, I'm not going to teach my kids Mandarin this yeah. month. <laughs> Let me start by like saying, okay, I- I'm just going to like, you know, and I have little goals and I'm going to spend some time with my kids today and I'm going to do this or that. And that's how I've been approaching it. And I think it's the same advice for everybody. Small wins, get, get momentum every day, time block, make a plan, you know, and chip away. Yeah. That's a that's a beautiful concept, and I really love it. I'm at the point right now where I'm going to have to make one of those moves that we have to make periodically, where we start folding all of our other priorities for the one priority that matters the most. I got about a three month runway before I have to turn in my manuscript on my book, and this is now that time. I mean, I've had this fairy tale romance. I've had a lot of other things. I've been working on the book, but doing different different stuff. I was able to detox off my sleep meds. A lot of positive things have happened, but now i'm feeling great everything is really solid and it's i'm looking at all these things like posting on instagram stuff related to the podcast my weekly newsletters you know the things that i'm still involved with with on it and i'm looking at them all and it's like okay this is fold every card to the ace time and i think that's another thing that will all go like when we know we have something that's going to be of maximum impact like the leverage on that thing is worth it there comes a point where you have to really fold to the ace and be willing to give up everything. A hundred percent. And I've been on both sides of that equation where I've given it up, you know, and I found, Arby, I don't know, you know, now that you, you have a, a, a more um, deeper relationship, a bigger commitment, mm-hmm. um, I've always found that when I do that, when I go out of balance like that, like if I'm going to write a book and I have a deadline, you're going to be out of balance. You're yeah. going to give up some of the stuff that you were doing to write your book. So other stuff has to go down, right? But I let my, those closest to me know. Yeah. So I, I say to my wife, Sarah, I said, look, I got a race coming up this month. You're not going to see me a lot. I'll make it up next month. But I don't, <laughs> want, her, I don't want her to um, be angry at me and I don't want any resentment or guilt. I don't want guilt, yeah. you know, that I'm not with my wife because I have to write a book or a train. So I, I let everyone closest to me know, take the guilt off the table. And then I start to go. And then I say to myself, you know, look, I'm going 
a mile deep on this book for the next 90 days. But, and that's my lifestyle, it's not deprivation, it's not discipline. That's my lifestyle for the next 90 days. But when that's over, I'm going to go back to what was my normal life is. So I I put, you know, I know it's not forever. And that really helps me because without that, if there's no end point, it's almost impossible to sustain it, you know, but if you have a definitive Mm -hmm. deadline, you know, like that's why people lose weight for a wedding because they know exactly the date. It's like, boom, boom. But if you're like, I'm just going to, I'm going to lose 15 pounds. Good luck. (laughs) But if I'm going to lose 15 pounds for, for this wedding, or I'm going to run this marathon on this date, Versus um, one day I'm going to run a marathon. The definitiveness of it really helps you towards a goal. That's a great point. That's a great point. I mean, that's the beautiful, beautiful part about selling a book and, and getting an advance is because you have a manuscript deadline. I mean, you never is, do it. It's so brutal. Yeah. It's so fucking brutal. But then if you have that deadline, then you're like, all right, well, I have no fucking choice now. You know, they like, say, would, man, they say yeah. pressure, pressure's a privilege. You got to put yeah. a little pressure on your shoulders to, to, to get it done. Yeah. And if it, it isn't, like you said, if it isn't something that's coming from a contract or a deal that you've made or something external, just make that for yourself and just 100%. start to trust yourself, you know, and say like, look, this is inflexible. I'm going to do this. And, and then it becomes that hard, that hard border that gives you that finish line, gives you that ribbon that you can, that you know, that you can smash through however exhausted you are. I mean, I'm sure for you, even on mile 99 point seven five when you see that last quarter mile and there's that that finish line i mean however jelly your legs are there's this buoyancy of just knowing like fucking finish line i see it (laughs) you know yeah when i uh when i ran my first hundred mile i've only run two hundred mile races uh but i ran the first one in 2006 and when i got to mile 99 i um the last mile took me 48 minutes. And now my, th- my four-year-old daughter could crawl, could crawl or walk it in 20 <laughs> minutes. But I had this big feeling of the last mile that I was going to, I had 50 friends that had come and that we had tents and they were staying and they were cheering me on, that they were all going to run it with me like a Rocky moment. You know, we're all going to run the last mile. It's going to be this great victorious thing. I was doing it for charity and it's going to be this magical moment. Well, my calculation was off. So when I got to mile 83, I thought I was at mile 84. So when I got to mile 99, I thought I was done. My brain was programmed for hundred miles. So it shut down. So now it took me 48 minutes and I'm holding on to my brother and I'm holding on to my friend and I'm in terrible shape and I have a half mile to go. And this guy runs by me and he stops and he says, Hey, finish like a champion. And I was like, finish like a champion, man. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> you know, I've been out of here for 24 hours. I'm 90. I'm finished like a champion. Get the fuck out of here, man. And I, I crawl in. But he was right. I, um, I, I, the one regret I've had, I live with this regret for 13. I carried around with me for 13 years, man. I carried around with me. Was how I finished that race. With my brother and my friend and not in disappointing everybody like this, you know. And um, 13 years later, I got to avenge that and run another 100 miler. And um, my slogan was finish like a champion, you know? And I would say the same thing for writing a book. Mm. You're going to have a get to a point. It could be writing a book. It could be a product that you're developing. Right now, I have a new thing I'm launching called the Big Ass Calendar Club where 
um, you know, I could easily be like, it's good enough. Or I could say, finish like a champion. And how do I make it better? And I think a critical component of this journey that we're on, you as an author, me and multiple projects, anybody listening and whatever your project is or special thing is when you get to a point where you, ha- when you, you want to hand it in, if you ask yourself, could I make this, how could I make this 10 or 20% better? If I started right now, how could I make this 20% better? That's how you get an amazing product. Because most people like, it's good enough, I'm tired, I can't do this anymore, they hand it in. But I've always found that when you go that extra, you, you, know, you play a 10 inning game instead of a nine inning game. Mm-hmm. When everybody else would go nine innings, do you have that extra 10 inning in you? Uh, is the packaging good? You know, and I've cheated projects, products before. It doesn't work. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. work. So that's what you, you know, that I, I, I envy, I have a lot of respect for what you're about to go through because the process, but I will say this, Aubrey, and I'm saying this as a friend, and I would say this if you were, if I was coaching somebody, it's what you signed up for. Mm-hmm. It's what it you signed up for. You don't want to do it. Don't write a book. <laughs> You know, and yeah. I know your standards aren't here. Your standards are high. So I know what you're about to go through. And I also know the reward it feels like when it's on the charts. No doubt, man. No doubt. And it's not only what I signed up for with this specific project. I signed up to test myself the moment I signed up to be a human, the moment I decided to be me, right? It's like, I'm going to fucking go for it. Like, I'm going to go for it. Why? What else? What else are we here to do? It's not a it's not a, a fun game to play it safe in you know i mean you gotta you gotta go for it listen man you've done it better than anybody you write your own <laughs> rule I, I i don't think anybody has a rule book like you <laughs> yeah it's very small it's a very small rule book it's a post-it note <laughs> it says don't hurt anybody on purpose and that's that's my rule book it's one sentence <laughs> i mean you it's unbelievable man so i mean it's just to to create that kind of life. And I think we all have the ability to do that. Maybe not on the level that you're doing it. You know, you do it on a real high level, but to say, you know, what are our rules and how do we want to define our short little 70, 80 year old, 80 year run? If we're lucky, 90, if we're lucky, you know, there's no guarantee. Uh, And you've been able to, you know, to create this really unique life and, and rules set of rules. It's kind of cool to watch. Thank you, brother. Well, man, this is beautiful. I'm so happy we got to do this and uh, and drop in and share some share some conversations with people. Um, where would you like to point people to, man? I mean, and obviously we mentioned some of the books, uh, Living with a Seal, Living with the Monks. You got all kinds of stuff, but where would you like to point people to? Well, let me end with this, Aubrey. You know, my number one rule as an entrepreneur in my life has been to provide value. You know, like your book, it's like if you provide value, good things are going to happen. My agenda here was just to provide value. So I, I appreciate you thinking of me and the opportunity. Um, if people do want to learn more about any of the stuff I got going on, it's really just Instagram at Jesse Itzler or, you know, jesseitzler.com. But I appreciate you. Uh, if you lasted this whole podcast, <laughs> thanks for listening. And no Aubrey, doubt. man, th- thanks for thinking of me, man. And uh, there's a lot of people you can interview. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat it up with me, brother. Yes. So much love, my brother. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Now, at the time that I'm recording this outro, I just got off a call with some former Fit for Service Fellowship members, 
and they'd started a new clothing business together. And so I just wanted to offer that anybody that's inspired to take their entrepreneurial journey, please check out the Fit for Service Mastermind that we offer. And that's aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. There's like 40% of the members from 2019 started a new business together. And many of these businesses are thriving. And of course, there's the education, there's the access to the coaches and access to individuals like Jesse Itzler that we're bringing together for our public gathering. So you can apply anytime we're offering admissions, uh, sometimes in midterm and definitely at the end of each term. So check it out. Aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. I love you guys and I'll see you next week.